0: Well, good evening. It's good to be here with you folks. Good to see uh, catch up with some folks that I've known for a while and see their families growing up and uh, uh, kids that were babies, I think, a few years ago when I was here. And now they're sitting here uh, uh, studying the Bible with us all. So that's that's a wonderful thing to see. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, tonight to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah. Everybody knows the story of Jonah, right? He's the guy who built an ark, right? <laughs> even, even the unbelievers don't get that wrong now because we have a movie about Noah. But, uh, uh, but Jonah, we know, was disobedient, and so a whale ate him. For many unbelievers, that's about where the story stops. It's about all they know about him. But a seasoned believers, you know a bit more. You know that Jonah repented uh, of, of, in the whale. The whale spit him out. Jonah preached to Nineveh, and there was a big revival. Okay, so you all know that part of the story. That's the uh, part you learned at Sunday school. And, uh, so you've, you've picked up on that part. But what often gets overlooked is the very last chapter of this book, uh, which picks up right where most people think the end of the story is for the book of Jonah. God still has a lesson for Jonah and for us, in this last chapter of Jonah and I think it's really the the message of the, of the book here. Uh, the theme of the book of Jonah is not be obedient or you'll be eaten by a whale. I think we know that. It's not even that God loves big revivals or that repentance leads to God, God's blessing. Now all these things are true. Uh, God loves it when people submit to him. Uh, God loves it then, uh, when we repent and uh, God grants us blessing. But I think as we, after we take a look at this fourth chapter of Jonah, all of these little lessons, good as they may be, will not really sustain uh, themselves as the central message of the book of Jonah. There's a bigger theme that ties the whole story together. And the theme of this book, as illustrated here in chapter 4, is that God's agenda must become your agenda. God's agenda must become your agenda. Let's read this chapter together and see if we can't uh, figure out the meaning of this book and see why it was included. As we read this chapter, you'll notice it's broken into three neat little paragraphs. In fact, if you have a a Bible that's broken up by paragraphs, you'll probably see there's three uh, paragraphs. First uh, verses 1 to 3, which we'll see is Jonah's complaint the Lord's response by way of an illustration in the next five verses, 4 to 8, and then uh, verses 9 through 11 bring us to a climax and give us the central message of the book. So let's read this together, and uh, we'll see uh, what we can't to learn from the book of Jonah tonight. But it greatly displeased Jonah. Of course, we need to know what the it is. The it is that God relented. God uh, God refused to destroy the city of Nineveh, so that's this is this is where this is where we're starting. This displeased Jonah, and he became very angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, "Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents." concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. The Lord said, Do you have good reason to be angry? Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen to the city. So the Lord appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over him, to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about this plant. But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day, and it attacked the plant so that it withered. And it came about when the sun came up that God appointed a scorching east wind And the sun beat down on Jonah's head, so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, Death is better to me than life. Then God said again to Jonah, Do you have good reason to be angry about this plant? And Jonah said, I have good reason to be angry even to the point of death. And then the Lord said, You had compassion on a plant for which you did not work, and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not also have compassion on Nineveh, a great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hands, as well as many animals? We look through this book and we find... Uh, that Jonah, from really from verse 1, is not enthusiastic about this idea that God had about the people of Nineveh. God comes to Jonah, who is a, an attested prophet. He, we find him in 2 Kings. He's a, he's a prophet doing his business there in the nation of Israel. And God comes to him one day, apparently out of blue, And says, Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach against that city. Now, obviously, Jonah did not want to go. And it's not just that he didn't want to visit the city. Um, And uh, I think we, we find out in this chapter why he didn't really want to go. The reason he didn't want to go is because he knew the kind of God that God is, right? He knows that God is a compassionate God, a kind God, one who actually relents concerning the promises that he makes, these, these, these warnings that he delivers. And so he knew that if he went and delivered this message to Nineveh, get 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed, they might repent. And if they repented, then God might have pity on these people, and he wouldn't destroy the city, and Jonah didn't want that. Uh, Jonah had no interest in that, and so he hops in a ship in Tarshish, city near Tel Aviv, uh, modern-day Tel Aviv, and he hops into this boat and takes off across the Mediterranean um, and 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 heads for, heads. Uh, excuse me, he goes to Joppa, Go, and from there to Tarshish. Tarshish probably is in Spain. There's not complete agreement on where this Tarsus place is, uh, but it could be as far west as Spain uh, from the Holy Land. And so he's trying to get as far away as possible. Apparently he thinks he's actually doing Israel a service by doing this. Uh, and you say, well, how? how? <laughs> well, I, I don't get this. Uh, you're, 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 I'm missing it here. Well, uh, you have to understand who these Ninevites were. These folks from Assyria. Uh, The Assyrians are some of the cruelest people that have ever been on this planet. We know that when they went into a city and they conquered that city, what they would do is line up the people, and depending on how angry they were with this particular city, they would either kill or mutilate every third person, fourth person, fifth person, cut off an ear or a nose or... Much worse. Got little folks here, so we'll just leave it at that, that, that. They did many, many horrible things. These people, and and the fact is, Jonah knew that the Assyrians were getting stronger and stronger and stronger, and they were threatening where he lived, the Israelite people. Uh, if you if you want to know the 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 rest of the story of Jonah, Second Kings chapter fourteen tells us that. Jonah is happily uh, functioning as a prophet in the in the northern kingdom of Israel. And by the time we get to 2 Kings chapter 17, three chapters later, the Assyrians have come in, destroyed Samaria, and Samaria has done all of these horrible things to the folks that lived in Samaria, the capital city of the northern tribes of Israel. Okay, So Jonah recognizes how horrible and wicked and evil these people were and so he doesn't want to give them anything close to an opportunity to repent, much less the gospel. So he flees. He goes the other way. And quite frankly, uh, we 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 discover that uh, Jonah really never gets over this. And throughout the whole book, now there's points along the way at which he obeys God, but you feel at every point that he's being dragged, kicking, and screaming to his destination. So we find here that he's in this boat, and we find again that Jonah does everything possible to disobey God here, everything possible. Uh, We find that he's in this boat, a storm comes up, and we find that he's sleeping in the bottom of the ship. All of the rest of these sailors are doing everything they can to lighten the ship, to offer sacrifices to their respective gods because they know something's gone terribly wrong. And then they discover Jonah sitting in the hold. He's asleep. They wake him up. say, what in the world are you doing? Pray to your God. By the way, what God do you serve? And what does Jonah say? Well, I serve the God who created everything. The creator of heaven and earth. I mean, he, he, makes, he makes nothing of the gods. That, the gods that you've been sacrificing to, nothing. Okay? I serve the true and living God, the creator of heaven and earth. And hearing this, they're, they're devastated. They know this is, that, that this, is, this is a real problem now. And so they ask him to sacrifice to their, his God and ask, What in the world did you do to incur this? Gigantic storm. And so Jonah explains it to them and says, really the only solution for you is to throw me overboard. That's really the only solution for you. Now, if you think about it, if you're thinking through this, what's the logical thing for Jonah to do to stop the storm? Repent. Okay, yeah, repent. Say, I did wrong, God forgive me, I'll do what you tell me to do. He doesn't do that. He makes himself a martyr. In fact, he didn't even throw himself overboard. He said, you've got to throw me overboard. And, uh, of course, these folks, puts them in a pretty bad spot. They don't want to anger this, this powerful god even further. So they try and row to shore. They find it's beautiful. And so they finally throw Jonah overboard immediately. We find that the uh, storm stops. And, and, and actually, these sailors offer the sacrifice to God that Jonah wouldn't offer now i'm not i don't i don't know whether these folks actually got converted or saved at this point uh, but they've actually got a better response going than jonah does right now okay so jonah's sinking in the water here and so uh, he's uh he's about to drown which is what his hope was and a whale comes along a large fish uh, probably a whale that's really the only kind of animal that would have a a, a mouth and a stomach large enough to accommodate a person. So he, gets, uh, so he gets eaten by this whale, swallowed. And so then he prays to God. Again, there's really, there's some, he says some decent things in this prayer, but, you know, if you, if you look really closely, there's, there's really not much to say he repented at this point. He agreed to do what God said he should do. But he doesn't really repent. There's no, there's no language of sorrow or regret here. Nonetheless, God listens to him. And so uh, the, uh, the whale spits him up, apparently back where he started. And he hits the ground running and goes, as ordered, to Nineveh. Jonah's message, then, I think, tells us even more about Jonah's, Jonah's uh, Uh, just antipathy towards these Ninevite people, he goes with a simple message. Nineveh's going down. Get 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. Now, when we see the messages and sermons of the Scripture, we generally recognize that there's probably more being said than just the few words that are recorded. In this case, I'm not sure that that's that's the case. Why do I say that? Because by the time we get to chapter 3... After Jonah gives his message to the Ninevites, who is it that comes up with a solution for the Ninevite people? It's the king. The king of Nineveh. In verse 9, he says, Let's clothe ourselves with sackcloth and ashes. Let us pray to this God. Who knows, he says, maybe this God will have mercy. He doesn't know this because apparently Jonah hasn't told him. Okay? Okay. Jonah has apparently given him a very clipped, tiny piece of a message. You're going down. And it's the idea of the king to say, okay, let's try and do something about this to see if we can forestall this and and, and keep this from happening. And so we find here that they did repent. And there was a moral revival of sorts. I call it a moral revival not sure I would say that these, all these folks got converted at this time. I know there's quite a bit of debate over this. Um, uh, the scriptures actually say that they believed God. Um, it could mean that they all became believers uh, and you know, started worshiping the true and living God. Uh, it could simply mean that they believed what he had said. If you don't do anything, you're going to be destroyed. Apparently that's what they they are believing. The reason I say that is because just a few years later they're back on the on the on the war path again, rampaging again and destroying countries and cities. So it doesn't appear that there's many fruits of faith among the uh, among the Ninevite people. Perhaps some of them were converted, but uh, certainly there's a moral revival of sorts. Okay, and so they and so they repent, and and so God relents. God, God says, no, I will not destroy them. And the promise, the, the warning that I gave was apparently uh, understood to be a conditional warning. Uh, he didn't actually say, if you repent, you'll, you'll be spared. Uh, but they understood that to be the case. They repented, and they were spared. But you see, Jonah still is unhappy. Uh, he prefers death over God's agenda. In fact, that's what we see here in these first three verses. He is greatly displeased. In fact, this word "greatly" appears at several points in this in this story. There are several themes that pop up in the story. In fact, that's just sort of a uh, you know a hermeneutical note: when you read your Bible, try and read the stories as a as a whole unit, not in pieces. Because when you read them as a whole story, you start to see some of these themes come back he was greatly displeased he was greatly annoyed he was and so you see see this word repeated over and uh, again uh, another theme that comes up and we'll we'll see it twice more to, uh, yet he, he he wants to die this this suicidal tendency uh, that Jonah has he wants to die he wants to die it's the, it's the supreme expression of selfishness right i want to die okay we'll also see another theme that comes up and that is the, the language of appointment uh, but we'll hold off on that. I think that really sort of steers the story, uh, but uh, we'll, we'll get there in a, in a minute. So just a, just a note sort of as, as an aside here. When you read stories, try to read them as, as, as whole, whole stories uh, because you see some of these things that connect uh, the story together. Jonah here, of course, is very displeased, and uh, he does not want uh, God to spare these people. Uh, he, and, and Jonah, even realizing that God has relented, still stubbornly gives uh, is is holding out this hope that God will still destroy the city. How do I know that? Well, because he went outside the city and he sat down on the east side of the city to see what would happen to the city okay and and what do you think he wanted to see happen to the city well he 's hoping that God would actually change his mind again, rechange his mind, and actually, you know, fire and brimstone down on Nineveh, Sodom and Gomorrah style, okay? He wants this city to be destroyed, and so he's sitting out there. He thinks that he could somehow triumph over God by dying himself, but it doesn't work that way. And God says to Jonah in verse 4, Do you have a good reason to be angry with me? Now, what right do you have, you puny little man, to argue with me, the almighty sovereign God of the universe? Do you have a right to be angry? I've already shown you twice what happens when you disobey me. First, I sent a storm to prevent you from sailing west. Then I sent a whale to prevent your willing death. Okay? And again, this, this word appoint is there. He appointed a storm. Then he appointed a whale. Didn't you learn your lesson? Apparently he hasn't, because we're going to find that there's going to be three more appointments here in chapter 4 that steer the story to let us know what God's message is through this book. And so he demonstrates then the superiority of his own purposes in verses 5 to 8, God does, when he gives an illustration here, a very visible, physical illustration about what his agenda is. In order to demonstrate his divine control over Jonah's circumstances, he, uh, he designs this object lesson. So Jonah has gone outside. He wants to see the city destroyed, and he's built himself a little hut of some sort. We're not sure exactly what it is. About all we can say about it, it probably doesn't have a roof. Um, uh, Most likely, uh, I mean, around a city of 120,000 people, uh, they probably scoured the area for wood. There's no wood left. There's nothing to make, construct any sort of beams over the top of his hut. It probably had walls, but no roof. This was okay in the morning before the sun got high. uh, But once the sun got high, it it just got terribly hot. And, of course, uh, Iraq has been in the news quite regularly, and we recognize some of that, some of the conditions that our soldiers, the American soldiers, have been in in Iraq. Just just terrible heat. And as we're going to see here, uh, an additional uh, problem is they, they have this, these, these winds that develop. Okay. So he's sitting there, and the sun's growing higher, and things are getting uncomfortable for Jonah. And so God makes his first, well, the third one in the book, the first one in this chapter. He appoints, a plant. Uh, King James has a gourd, probably not a gourd, but some sort of a leafy plant. Obviously, it's got leaves on it because it's providing shade. Uh, so overnight, uh, this plant grows, and it, it, we we have to recognize this as a as a miraculous thing. Um, I mean, we're talking about the desert here. We don't have large leafy green plants growing overnight. And so this, this, is, this is something that Jonah recognizes immediately. is something from the hand of God. This is not normal. This is not natural. This is supernatural. This is a miracle. And God has done this for him. And so, it says here, this grew up over Jonah and he's delivered from his discomfort and he was greatly happy. Okay, he was greatly unhappy earlier. Now he's greatly happy again. Apparently he thinks that God perhaps is back on his side. He's He's doing something nice uh, for Jonah here. And so he's delivered from his discomfort. Uh, Obviously, it gives deliverance from his physical discomfort. He's hot. Uh, And it also probably gives him some sort of psychological comfort, too. Okay, God's back on my side. And so if God's back on my side in this area, maybe, just maybe, he'll still come through and knock off these Ninevites. But unfortunately, Jonah's glee, his great happiness, didn't last long because that night God made another appointment, the fourth appointment in the book here, the second in this chapter. And the appointment here is the appointment of a worm. This worm takes out this this large, miraculously grown plant in a night. Again, probably miraculous here. Uh, things like this just don't happen overnight. Uh, but uh, but uh, this, this worm comes along, and Jonah is now angry again. Uh, What's up, God, perhaps he thinks? Did you change your mind again? This is ridiculous. And then to add insult to injury, God makes a final appointment here. And that is a scorching east wind, or a vehement... East wind, if, depending on what translation you have in front of you. And this debilitates the prophet, puts him to the point of fainting. Again, this, this, uh, this appointment is probably of what is known in the Middle East as a Okay, You can look this up on Wikipedia tonight if you want. Now, these wind windstorms uh, grow up rather suddenly. Sometimes you can see them coming across the desert. And sometimes they'll last for weeks. They stir up the sand in extremely hot air, up to 120 degrees, and drive it incessantly acro- across the desert, even causing temporary insanity among those who are enduring them. In fact, uh, in some, some modern uh, Middle Eastern countries that experience these scaracos, there are actually uh, written into the law code um, there are, there are there are reductions of penalty if you commit a crime during one of these scaracos. It plays with your mind. I mean, it's so bad that it plays with your mind, causes you to do things you wouldn't ordinarily do, so there's actually leniency uh, meted out to those who commit crimes during these scaracos. They're miserable. And so Jonah is miserable. It's the point of fading. He's at the end of his physical limitations, and convinced now that God was again turned against him, Jonah resumes his uh, reiterated theme, I want to die. Okay. I just want to die. That's, that's all I want to do. I want to die. Uh, just, just take me. And now, God asks this question again. Here, chapter verse 9. Now he's coming down, he's trying to narrow it down and try to explain what Jonah got wrong. And perhaps, well, we get wrong sometimes. And there's the lesson for us. Do you have a reason to be angry, God says to Jonah. This time, Jonah answers. The first time, there was no answer at all. This time, he answers. You better believe I do, he says. In Hebrew, of course. Uh, but uh, but he, he, he is very upset. Here I am, your prophet. You've abused me. You put me through a storm. You nearly drowned me. You made me spend three nights in a whale. You dragged me across this desert. You, you gave me success when I didn't want success. And now I'm sitting outside the city, and you've, you've taken away my plant, of all things. All of these things accumulate for Jonah, and he blows up against God. And he says, let me die. Now God moves in to win the debate. And here God answers the prophet with some very sound logic. He rebukes the prophet by pointing out that this plant had been an incidental blessing from God. It wasn't a product of his own labor. He didn't work for it. And yet Jonah somehow imagined that it was his right to have this plant. And so he was defending this plant. This was the sum total of his agenda at this point. Preserving this plant so I can be comfortable as I sit out here in the desert. And then God says, that's not my agenda. I have a different agenda than you do. And what is the agenda that has, we have seen throughout this book? Well, it's the agenda of mercy. God has mercy on the Ninevites, and so he sends them a warning. God has mercy on the sailors who actually repent. God has mercy on Jonah by sending him a, a whale to save his life. God has mercy on Nineveh again. God has mercy on Jonah again, gives him a plant. God even, as we see towards the end here, has mercy on animals. In fact, it's kind of interesting the way the the story ends. Uh, we, we we we. And perhaps you thought this as I was reading. Well, this that was a weird ending to this book. <laughs> okay. It says there are 120,000 people and animals. Okay, what's that for? Well, because God has mercy not only on people, but on animals as well. I mean, you think about it. You know, suppose, heaven forbid, you you go home and you see your house is on fire, and you and you you see it's not advanced too much, and you know there's some things in there you'd like to pull out because you don't you don't want to lose them. And so you run in and there on the windowsill are the tomato plants that you've you're know, trying to grow there before you put them out in the garden. And in the other corner, you see your dog cowering in the corner because he doesn't know what to do because the flames are leaping up about him. What do you do? Do you, do you grab the plants? No. Okay. You grab your dog or you grab your kitty cat because you know enough to say plants are not as important as animals. Now, if you're thinking differently, just keep quiet about it right now. <laughs> okay. But I think most of us recognize that plants are not as important as animals. And that's the point that God is making here. Okay. You're worried about plants, Jonah at least be interested in the animals, if not the people. 120,000 people and animals as well. Okay, so God has mercy, and that's the theme that comes over and over and over again. God has mercy on whom he will have mercy, and it is not your prerogative to stand in the way of God's expression of his mercy. So what does that mean for us? I mean, this doesn't happen today. I I didn't wake up with any concern that I was going to be swallowed by a whale today. just didn't cross my mind until now. Okay. These things don't happen. But the problem here is not unique. Okay. We still refuse to make God's agenda our agenda. And what's the agenda again? Having mercy. Even on the people we don't like. Those whom we view to be the least likely candidates for the gospel, right? So, we're sitting at church on Sunday morning, and in walks someone with little regard for personal hygiene. Or in walks someone from a very low socioeconomic stratum. And you know it, just by looking at them, smelling them, seeing what, the way they, what they wear. Somebody walks in, perhaps, who's the wrong color. Somebody walks in who's got the wrong political affiliation. Somebody walks in, perhaps, who has sin habits and orientations that are contributing to the collapse of America as we know it. You know know what we're talking about here. And so you say, I don't want them to be converted. I don't want to extend mercy to them. They're actually actively pounding against the America that I know and love. I don't want them converted. I have no sympathy for those. And suddenly we sound an awful lot like Jonah, right? This is a group of people who are going to come in here and destroy my home country as I know it. That's what Jonah said, right? And so I don't want to extend them any mercy. I just want them to die. I just want them to be gone. And sometimes we can end up thinking the same way that Jonah does, even here in suburban Detroit, right? Surely God would have no mercy on these people, right? But God has a habit of showing mercy. Jonah knew this habit. He said as much in these first three verses. I know that God is a merciful God, slow to anger, ready and willing to relent concerning the promised judgment that He is holding out over top of the people who hate Him. God is like that. And He bids us to make His agenda... His agenda of mercy, our agenda as well. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this book that you have given to us. Thank you for uh, not only the interesting pieces of it, the the flow of the story that's rather enjoyable to to read, but also for the uh, the the message that it has for us. Uh, something that's not just Twenty five hundred years away and six thousand miles away. But something that is close at hand. Lord, I ask that you would learn that uh, you would cause us to learn the lesson that Jonah has for each one of us. And Lord I ask that you would cause us to make your agenda our agenda as well. We pray this in your name. Amen.